Okay, I think we're going. We're going. Looks like it. We're moving. Uh, so what's up this week? Oh, welcome, everyone. <laughs> Sorry, I entered <laughs> the wrong zone. Uh, what zone you in now? Well, I was starting the talking zone about nothing. Talking about nothing zone. <laughs> Instead of the welcome zone. Welcome zone. The intro zone. Welcome to the welcome zone. Uh, you're listening to the Known Unknowns podcast. Get in the zone. Welcome zone. I'm Carly. I'm Harry. Come up a little closer to the mic, Harry, so they can hear you. You come closer to the mic, Carly. No, I'm already close enough. I'm closer than you are. No, now you're, now you are. All right, well, now I'm the same distance as you. No, you're further away. Well, now? I Welcome to the daily, um... Harry, get closer to the mic segment, and then we argue about who is closer to the mic segment. It happens every week. Yeah, I know. Okay. Uh, as long as we're on the same page about it. I think it. the other person just always looks further away. Okay. Whatever. Well, I mean, Anyway, I they am. can't see what's going on, so. I mean, sometimes I look further away because I am further away, but also I look further away sometimes when I'm the same distance. Okay. Anyway... Um, what's up this week? Why what's are you asking up? me? Is I don't know. Do you think something's up? No. Because you didn't ask me first. And I usually I ask you first. To. I usually ask you first. Yeah, I know. So answer the question. Well, I don't know. Nothing. Oh. Uh, I don't remember. Why do we have a podcast again? That's a good question. We don't talk. Yeah, I know. We don't do anything. What would be new? Literally nothing is new. Why are you guys always asking us what's new? Who's asking us? Harry, you're supposed to go along with it. Oh, sorry. They are. The audience. Ooh, oh, they are. Right. Who do you think they is? I don't know. I don't know who they are. <sighs> All right, my friends. Harry's dumb. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I am dumb. I'm kidding. What's it to I'm you? Kidding. I'm kidding. You want to make something of it? <laughs> I'm just like, kidding. Take this outside, show you how dumb I really am. Fight me. No, I, I, I'm, I, I'm hurt still. Here, you gotta talk louder. I'm hurt still. I can't fight you. Okay, don't yell at me. You're telling me to fight you. Saying you're gonna fight me and hurt me. Yeah, Harry's still hurt. We yeah. have physical therapy tomorrow, so while you're listening to this podcast episode, hopefully, right. tomorrow... We will be at physical therapy. Mm-hmm. I will be. You'll be waiting for me. Yeah, I'll be waiting. Reading Unless you want to get some physical therapy, too. No. All right. I'd rather not. I'm not hurt. Right. Not yet. For the first time in a, this relationship, you are battered and bruised, and I am not. Yeah. I'm usually the sick, broken one. Sick, twisted. And Shut up. Your sick mind. Shut up. Um... Anything else interesting? The things that... Carly thinks about sometimes. Oh my things that she'll just say to me, like <clears throat> she's just so messed up, like in her head. I don't. I wonder what it's like in there. Do you see how tiny the little waveform is here? Whatever yeah. that's called. Yeah. Oh yeah, you are pretty close to it. You just don't talk very loudly. I feel like I scream into the microphone and Harry just like... like uh, sick, uh, twisted, messed up mind. Okay. I do not 
Um, it was really so nice out today. Spiders and stuff all the time. What? Centipedes and sn- how she likes snakes. I don't crawlies. like snakes or spiders or centipedes. We have centipedes in this apartment. The little eyelash bugs. The ones with the really, really, really creepy long legs. Yeah, I don't like them. I always think they're caterpillars. Uh, I get caterpillars and centipedes confused. Caterpillar, cat, 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 cat. Caterpillars scare me too, though, so. Really? Yeah. Aw, they're little cuties. Yeah, I know. They're Everyone likes to boys. put them on their finger, and I'm like, that's disgusting. Mm-hmm. That just goes to show how sick and <laughs> twisted Carly's <laughs> brain up. is. She doesn't even like caterpillars. No. I've had a bad day. I, um, I already worked five days this week fine whatever and then i had to work today too and today was my day off so i get one day off this week and then i go into and then someone tried to convince me to take their shift tomorrow and i was like absolutely not that means i don't get a day off this week i worked seven days and then i will go into a six-day work week like no i will get one day off in like two weeks and i was like no yeah, I, just... I don't want one day off in two weeks. Mm-hmm. I want at least two days off in two weeks. Mm-hmm. No, I was like, I'm not working 13 out of the 14 days of this, these two weeks. It was insane. I was like, no, I'm not. Yeah, I know. I'm like, they wouldn't do it anyway because I'd be in hella overtime. They'd have to pay me so much money. Mm-hmm. Okay, they don't care about this. I'm just. Yeah, I was just home all day playing Stardew Valley on my computer. Yeah, well, good for you. Making my little farm work real good. Just going fishing. Yeah, see, the issue was it was between me and Harry. We were the only ones off at work. So they were like, Carly, you got to do it. And I was like, fine, if you let me out early. Because I had stuff to do. I had to go film today for my show. I know. So I was like, well, if you can get me out early, sure. If you can get me out an hour earlier. No, I told them. I'm like, I have to leave an hour early. I did not ask. I was like, I'm doing you guys a favor. Mm-hmm. That's anyway, right. this isn't interesting. Um, let's see here. Uh, do we want to move into the stories, or do you have anything else to talk about? I don't really have anything else to talk about. Any any. Any weird news? Any weird stuff that you're aware of? Or do you want to talk about no. anything in the world outside of outside of me and you? No. Okay. I don't care about anything else, really. Yeah, I know. There's a lot going on in the world right now that I do care about. I was just kidding. I just don't. I don't have anything to say about it. <laughs> I yeah. don't have any intelligent thing to say about it that hasn't already been said by other people who are way more qualified to talk about this than I am. So go read those. We I retweet them on Twitter all the time. So mm-hmm. okay, there's a lot going on. But we're here to talk to you about creepy, spooky stuff. Yeah. Equally, eh, sometimes equally upsetting things, but... Whatever. Yeah. What are you? What are you? What are you? What are you freaking listening to us for? Yeah, you guys are gross, sick human beings. Yeah, well, at least we're not just like a straight up true crime, like talking about people's heads getting chopped off. And yeah, I listened to that. Yeah, I know. One time in class, 
like last year in one of my classes people were like isn't it just sick that people listen to like true crime podcasts or like are obsessed with serial killers and everyone in the class was like yeah it's a sick obsession I don't know why people do that and I just sat in the corner and said nothing and then like a few weeks later I was like yeah I listen to those kind of uh, I'm actually really into true crime uh I am one of those sickos yeah you are a Um, sicko so it was really uh I was like oh and then they all kind of felt bad because they're like, Carly's such a sweet person who cares about people and she listens to true crime stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, see? Yeah, but they don't know how you also like like what? skeletons and bugs and all I that other not. messed up creepy friggin' zombies and Draculas. I don't see a problem. I love true crime stories. I mean, I don't love them. Yeah, well, that's because your twisted, messed up mind. I like true crime stories. twisted individual. I like learning about weird, messed up people. And how, yeah. Because that helps you to do with me better? No. What? Okay, just get into your story. I'm done. We're talking about Great Lakes, shipwrecks, and, and some ghosties. Great. I like all that. All right. So discuss it with me. All right. So, according to the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum, there are over 6,000 shipwrecks uh, in America's Great Lakes, uh, taking the lives of some 30,000 mariners. Yeah, if you hear creaking, it's because Harry can't not move in his chair. And we're sitting in chairs now, not the bed. We're sitting in chairs because of Harry's um, injuries. And Harry has a squeaky chair because he needs arm rests. Mm-hmm. And there's, we only have one chair with arm rests, but it's squeaky. And Harry can't not move when he's talking. He likes to squirm. So mm-hmm. you're going to hear creaking throughout his entire story today. It just adds to the spookiness. No. Yes, it does. Anyway, continue. Anyway, uh, the Great Lakes... So the Great Lakes total 94,250 square miles in area. That's a Um, lot. So that means that there is potentially one ghost ship for every 15 square miles of lake. What? No way. Yeah. How many ghost ships are there? Well, I mean, there there are over 6,000 shipwrecks. Oh, yeah, you did say that. According to the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum, Mm. uh, some other historian... Uh, says that there are some like 25,000 shipwrecks probably in the Great Lakes. Um, probably. So that would be like, you know, you got like a friggin' one every uh, four miles. You got a potential ghost ship. I don't know. Do you think every like ship that sinks has like, is a ghost ship? Potentially. Or is it just the ones that are like never found or like, is it just uh or specific things about them. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just asking. I don't just know. asking your opinion. Maybe I'll form one by the end of this. Okay. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna talk about a couple uh, noteworthy, shipwrecks? noteworthy shipwrecks that I think are okay interesting. Um, okay. All right. So I'm gonna start off with Le Griffin. Le Griffon. Le Griffon. Um. So depending on how you define a ship, um, (laughs) the first, and how you define the word first, I guess, um, but the first ship to navigate the Great Lakes. This is very debatable. I mean, it's just, so like, 
the official definition of a sailing ship is like a vessel with like a name and a deck and like yeah. at least three masts. So not just like a boat. Right. So, well, this, uh, mm. Le, Le Griffin is like the first um, basically big ship with functioning like masts and a deck. Like before that okay. on the Great Lakes, it was mostly um, boats. Yeah, boats, like canoes boats. or like yeah, boats. big canoes or canoe-like things that are yeah. like occasionally would have like maybe a sail in them to like help them go downwind, but it wasn't really like a sail that would aid in navigating or anything. Yeah, I'm going to call all of those boats. Yeah, they're all boats. This one, the boats Le Griffin. And ships, that's what we have. Is and a ship. The Titanic. It's the first ship on the Great Lakes. Okay. Um, if you hear noises, um, the shower is going. Our oh, roommate yeah. is taking a shower. Right. <laughs> uh, I don't know if they can hear that. But if you hear that, it's a shower. There's nothing <laughs> we can do about it. We live with people, so <laughs> deal with it. Uh, in addition to being the first ship on the Great Lakes, it was also the first ship to wreck on the Great Lakes. Oh, shoot. That we know of. That we know of, right. Maybe the first, maybe someone secretly, like, sent out, like, a big, like, a huge, like, frigate or something on the Great Lakes, but then it sunk immediately, and they're never told anyone about it, or no one found out about it. Yeah, it was a secret. But this is, uh, Le Griffin is, like, the first named ship on the Great Lakes. Okay. It was built by French explorer René Robert Cavalier Sieur de La Salle. Stupid. I'm sorry. I didn't Stupid name him. I didn't name. name him. Not my fault. Yeah, that would not be my know kid's why you're name. Jumping down my throat about it. Mm. Ah. Anyway, LaSalle's ambition was to find uh, like find a northwest passage to facilitate trade between France and China and Japan. So going to the north of like Canada and stuff, he was trying to find a way or through Canada. Okay. Um, and he, he decided he would he would finance this quest of his, his through the fur trade, and so he built the uh, the largest vessel to sail on the Great Lakes to that point, Le Griffin, to trade with the natives in greater quantities than he could before, and ideally create a fur monopoly. Fur monopoly. So like he'd, if you wanted to buy fur yeah. from. Well, no, I get it. I just okay. think it's funny. Yeah. Fur monopoly. <laughs> So Le Griffin was a 45-ton bark with either one or two masts. Uh, it was 30 to 40 feet long with a 10 to 15-foot beam. So we don't know much about this ship, apparently. We're like, eh, it could have been about this or yeah, maybe there, these things. Yeah, there are a few different accounts, like, accounts of it. And like some of them are clearly exaggerated and some of them are clearly less likely to be exaggerated and stuff so you know yeah so we and, don't know much about it yeah um a figure of a griffin was mounted on the front and <laughs> an eagle was mounted <laughs> like at the top the back that's what i want yeah a griffin and an eagle mm -hmm. it was funny. either named the Gr Le griffin because of um lasalle's family crest which had a griffin which might have had a griffin on it or, or it was named that to protect it from uh, threats of it being burned down while it was being built by the local natives, who the na local Iroquois and Seneca people who didn't like their lands being invaded. 
Okay. Anyway, yeah. um, so the griffin... Um, well, good thing they wrecked, so... Yeah. <laughs> uh, she was built on the Niagara River over the winter of 1678 to 79, and first entered the water in May of 1679. Uh, LaSalle and his 34-man 34 34 crew set sail in Le Griffin, on August 7th, um, onto Lake Erie. They weathered a fierce... It's my favorite one. It is? Why is yeah. it like... Because it's Isn't Erie. Isn't it tiny? Yes, yeah, I think it's the smallest one. It's the smallest one. one, and its name is Erie. That's it, cool. Yeah. It's the coolest name. And it's the smallest one. Yeah, it is cool. It's like the underdog. <laughs> is that what that's called? The dirtiest one, too, I think. Good. Most polluted. Great. Good Sounds for good it. good to me. All right, yeah. Um... Uh, so it set off across Lake Erie, made it across. Uh, they weathered a fearsome storm on Lake Huron, but on September 14th, they made it across northern Lake Michigan and anchored on the southern shore of an island in northwestern Lake Michigan. Hmm. Um, it was either Rock Island or Washington Island near the mouth of Green Bay in what is now Wisconsin. So um, LaSalle's crew found that the island was populated by friendly Potawatomi natives, as well as um, 15 of the traders who LaSalle had sent out ahead of their journey to uh, trade for furs that he could take back east. Mm -hmm. um, so the traders had gathered some 12,000 pounds of furs there, valued at 50,000 to 60,000 francs. Uh, Le Griffin was loaded up with the furs, as well as anchors and rigging for another ship LaSalle planned to build, the one that he would he was planning to use to search for the Northwest Passage. Uh -huh. um, and, but LaSalle decided to stay behind at the island with four canoes in order to explore more of the head of Lake Michigan. Uh -huh. um, he gave instructions to the crew of six who would return with the ship to, Niag to the Niagara River to stop at Mackinac Island and offload <laughs> some merchandise for him. Mackinac. Mackinac. I like it. <laughs> Mackinac. Um, so, on September 18th, Le Griffin set sail with, favor with favorable winds on what should have been a two-day maximum jaunt to Mackinac. <laughs> uh, she and her crew were never seen again. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Rumors quickly spread about what could have happened. Some wrote that the ship was lost in a violent storm. Some claimed that she was destroyed by rival fur traders or Jesuit missionaries. Uh, some said that Ottawa's or Potawatomi's had boarded her, murdered the crew, and then burned her. Uh, some claimed that the natives had cursed it somehow, and that caused whatever bad thing happened to it to happen. Uh, LaSalle was convinced that the crew had made off with the furs and intentionally sank her. Mm. But in reality, all anyone knows is that somewhere in Lake Michigan, she vanished. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Anyway, today Le Griffin is known as the Holy Grail for Great Lakes shipwreck hunters. Uh, dozens have claimed to have located her over the years. Some of these finds have been debunked, and some have not been debunked. Just like... What do you mean Could find be. the ship? Do they go underwater? Yeah, like people oh. yeah, go underwater, like scuba diving or like little submersibles <laughs> and like, yeah, look for shipwrecks, try to see what's there. You know, That's some of cool. these have been like, you know, they'll say, hey, we found the ship we think's Le Griffin. And then they're like, that has a steam boiler in it and 
steamboats weren't a thing yet. Yeah. And some of them were like, could be it, but this other one could also be it, or this other one. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this could be part of it. Yeah, I'm sure they'd find plenty of ships. That would be the coolest job, to go yeah. and look for, like, sh wrecked ships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be. You get oh, to man. find some really old ships down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I'm sure. cool. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Sad, but cool. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but it's not just underwater that people claim to see her. On misty mornings or on dark, gloomy nights, sailors see an old-fashioned sailing ship approaching on a collision course with sails billowing, a griffin on her jib boom and an eagle above, only to vanish into thin air. Or coming out of uh, Green Bay. Okay. It comes out and it disappears. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. So that's Le Griffin. Oh. Yeah, that's all, that's what I got so on it. So it's a ghost ship. Yeah. Yeah, okay, here's my theory. Yeah. I don't believe in ghost ships. You don't? <laughs> no. All right. I don't think so. Okay. I mean... Why not? Mm. You think they're just mirages? Whatever the... I don't I believe in the... Well, some people think ghosts are just uh, like the spirits reliving their death mm -hmm. over and over again. Right. I don't know how don't much I buy that, mm -hmm. but if that's true, I could see ghost ships being a thing. But a ship doesn't have any kind of spirit. Why would that come back? Yeah, but like clothes don't have a spirit. So? Or like, no, like cars don't have a spirit. Okay. Do you believe in like? I don't, I don't know. believe in ghost cars. No. All right. Well, cloak. If if you see it, do you see a lot of naked ghosts? No. Well, why not? They're clo they their clothes don't have a spirit. <laughs> like if they got like props or something, whatever they're. I feel like whatever they're, if they're like you know occupied on a ship, the ship should be there. If they're okay. Yeah, I'm not I don't saying. Know. I don't believe it either. I'm just saying, like, why not? Are they sure they're not seeing stuff? Well, no, they obviously are. <laughs> Out in the are. middle of the water? Yeah, clearly. But. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. It makes sense if you think that ghosts are spirits just reliving their death over and over again. I don't want to believe that because that, that makes me sad. Well, what if it's like, Yeah. I know. Or like the energy. Yeah, I don't know. That makes me sad. I, I hope people I like, don't just relive their death all the time. I like thinking about ghosts as like just kind of like folds in the or like overlaps in like the space time, time. continuum. So yeah, like, that would be like like a little just so kind of like things like so like replaying like itself, kind other, of sort of or not like, replaying, but like you're overlapping with another timeline kind of sort of yeah or yeah that makes more sense to me i don't like, like a, it when an people imprint of something from a long time ago yeah like an energy in like it's like the energy is still there of it mm -hmm. is what i think i i don't think that spirits are just reliving their death over and over again <laughs> if so that's really sad like that would make me really 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 bummer. sad but yeah i could I buy the, like, an energy kind of imprint or, like, the a time, uh, uh, 
Yeah. I mean, like I don't. You said. I don't believe it, but oh. that's how I like to think about it. I think that's a cool idea. That's. Mm. I don't know. Um. Uh, yeah. So that's 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 Le Griffin. Um. I want to hear about the SS Camloops. Yeah, Camloops. <laughs> So. I thought of camel fruit loops. <laughs> Cam- what? <laughs> camel fruit. Cam loops. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I thought of camel fruit loops. Camel fruit loops. Yeah. Camel shaped fruit loops. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They wouldn't be loops then. <laughs> They'd just be fruit camels. Well, I pictured a box of fruit loops with camels on the outside. It's cute. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> camel fruit loops. Well, there's still the loop. There's still a circle, oh, okay. and then they just, just ins- have a hump and then a head and some legs. The okay. camel is around. <laughs> right. So just like the loop is the loop is the it's hump the body. basically the body. Oh, it has the no, body they have and an it has extra a, hump. an extra hump. Is that like an extra loop on the loop? Oh yeah, it- yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. It's just a little mini loop. It's a little mini loop. Yeah. Okay. All right. We I like that. We should really tell. Uh, the Fruit Loops people about that. <laughs> Camel Fruit Loops. How stupid is that? That's really funny. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. All right, you can keep going. All right. The steamship Camloops was a lake freighter built in 1924. She was smaller than average for Great Lakes freight ships of the time, 250 feet long with a 43-foot beam. She is primarily used to ferry goods between Montreal and Thunder Bay, Ontario. Okay. Um, anyway, so the SS Kamloops was dispatched in late November 1927, mm-hmm. carrying a mixed cargo of papermaking machinery, coiled wire for range fencing, shoes, foodstuffs, piping, and tar paper. On the 1st of December... The steamer called at Courtright, Ontario, to top off its cargo with some bagged salt. Then steamed up Lake Huron, passed through the Salt St. Marie Canal on, and on, on the 4th of December, and faced the challenge of Lake Superior. On December 5th, the notoriously treacherous lake was made even more dangerous by a massive storm blowing in. Mm-hmm. On December 6th, the SS Kamloops was last seen heavily coated in ice, headed toward the southeastern shore of Isle Royale. Okay. Uh, none of the 22 men and women aboard were seen alive again. Yeah, I assume that's where that was going. Yeah. <laughs> A search for the Kamloops was commenced on December 12th, but was called off without finding anything uh, by December 22nd. In April of 1928, another search was made for wreckage of the steamship. Uh, in May and June, nine bodies and some wreckage from the ship were discovered on Isle Royale, but nothing more was found. Um, then in December of 1928, a trapper working at the mouth of the Agawa River in Ontario found a bottled note from Alice Betridge, an assistant stewardess in her early 20s, who, uh, who survived the sinking and wrote, I am the last one left alive. Freezing. She said she survived it? She survived the yeah. She survived the sinking of the boat. Do you believe long me? enough to write that. the note in the oh. bottle? Oh, she wrote, "I am the last one left alive, freezing and starving to death on Isle Royale in Lake Superior. I just want mom and dad to know my fate." That's dark. Yeah, I know. Wait, so that she was stuck on like an island? 
Yeah, she was uh, never never found. When did they find the bottle? Yeah, uh, in December of 1928. So like about a year after someone it found sank. it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's really uh, okay. <laughs> I know. All right. Um, and so nothing more was heard from it again until 1977, when a group of sport divers discovered it northwest of Isle Royale. More than 260 feet underwater. Oh, so they found it. Yeah, they found the ship. Uh, okay. Cargo is cargo is strewn near the ship on the lake fr- floor, and the holds still contain wire fencing, high-top shoes, candy lifesavers, and crates Ooh. of honeybee molasses. Um, and now I'm going to read a little bit from uh, weekinweird.com, Greg <laughs> Newkirk's uh, article on the on the sh- on the ship. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there is a ghost on board, or there is something on board the ship by the name of Grandpa. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, it turns out that the frigid waters of Lake Superior had not just refrigerated farm equipment and foodstuffs. It had perfectly preserved one of the 13 crewmen who never made it ashore. His body, stiff and his skin white as snow... The nameless member of the Kamloops crew had floated inside the ship for 50 years, alone until the alone until the divers began to occasionally filter in. Some had taken to call him Old Whitey, but those who'd heard the stories of ghostly encounters knew the truth. What? This was Grandpa. He was a ghost? That's not true. Well, I mean, there is like a, a body on board the ship still. No, I believe it, but they think it was a ghost. They think he is a ghost now. Well, um, mm-hmm. so... Anyway. The... <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm just <laughs> trying to <laughs> r- f- see how much I can... I don't know. So, no, just Grandpa... Be... Whispers of Grandpa began to make the rounds in diving circles. Some divers reported seeing the pale white ghost kicked back on one of the crew bunks, quietly and calmly watching the explorers make their way through the sunken ship. Others claimed he would wander the boat, oblivious to the fact that it was sitting at the bottom of Lake Superior, Mm. uh, going about his business as if he were still alive. Then there were others who reported something even more frightening, uh, that Grandpa would follow them as they made their way through the ship, that he wasn't just a ghost, he was physical. Grandpa, they claimed, would actually reach out and touch them. Ugh, no. <laughs> it's so creepy. Grandpa. Yeah. Oh. Wait, has anyone... Why doesn't anyone bring the body up? Uh, because it's kind of... It's like trapped in like the uh, engine room when it's not following people around the ship. But it's like, here's a picture oh. of where the body is. It's the white thing there. Oh my gosh yeah so like it would be it's preserving a body why don't they just go in and get it well i mean because it's yeah i mean it'd be it would probably fall apart <laughs> if you had like tried to i mean it's like got all this like why you know metal and like stuff around it it'd be very you'd have to like cut things apart but you wouldn't want the ship to fall down on you if oh. you like cut the wrong thing that's true it's just a body yeah mm. They've been dead for a long time. That is so weird. Yeah. 
explorers began to take notice of how Grandpa's course would follow them from t the time they entered the ship until they left. How? If he was stuck in that little room? Some of them rationalized it as currents, but others insisted that there was something unnatural, even intelligent, about the way Grandpa moved. Some even returned, saying that they had seen Grandpa's ghost and his body in the same trip, though never in the same room. So he moves around the, the little room that he's stuck in. Right. Or they, you know, see him in other or parts of the ship. Or they see his ghost on the ship. Right. Well, or that, they that's... see what seems like his body in another part of the ship. I believe it. Yeah. I believe that his ghost roams it. Mm-hmm. Um... That is weird. Yeah. Ugh, creepy. <laughs> so that is... Is that it? Yeah, that's, oh. that's what I've got. That is... That's weird. Mm-hmm. I like the story of Grandpa. Yeah, I know. Or Whitey. Mm-hmm. I was trying to find information on um, the Edmund Fitzgerald. Cause that's, you know, the most famous, like, shipwreck in the Great Lakes. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't find anything too interesting about, like, sightings of, or hauntings related to it. Apparently, I mean, there people claim they see it and stuff. Um, yeah. It's, you know, or in, in 2016, there was a, uh, someone put out a video online that they claimed uh, was a ghost ship out in the distance on Lake Superior. That was probably, I mean, it, from the video, I don't know. Could have just it's, been a ship. Yeah, just, or it looks like a mirage of some, like, building or something. Huh. I don't know. From what, I don't know. It didn't, it doesn't look particularly like a ship to me when I watched it. <laughs> uh, you hmm. know. Okay. But, um, you know, just, just listen to the song if you want to top off. Do, 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 turn, do, do, do. turn this, uh, uh, what's, a diptych into a triptych. What? Okay. Are you done? Yeah, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> you said that yours was long. Well, I yeah. Hope it is. Why? Because mine was short. Oh. Could you talk more about it? Is that why you said that? No. Sorry, I'm moving I mean, stuff I, around. I could have I could have done more research and found more stuff. No, you I mean, couldn't have. <laughs> you had all day. You didn't do more. You're right. All right. Are you ready for my story? Yes. I should have paused it while I was trying to readjust, but they can hear it. They can listen to it. Yes, they can. And they'll like it, mm -hmm. won't they? <clears throat> okay. So, I just want to start off by saying mine starts out with um, a suicide story. Uh -uh. Or I talk about suicide. I think I know a little bit about what you're... I mean, I know... A possible suicide. I think suicide. I have, I've, I've heard about this particular instance that you're going to talk okay. about. Yeah. I mean, I discuss a suicide, but it's... De yeah, you'll see. But, like, uh -huh. I wouldn't just tell you a story of a su You know what I mean. <laughs> but there is suicide. And, like... Kind of some animal cruelty in there. I think I know what animal cruelty you're going to talk about, too. Yeah, I mean, just, it. it's, I'm not going in any, like, real detail. I'm just going to, like, kind okay. of say some of the things that happened. But um, it's, it's interesting. It's not like a gross, like, true crime story, I promise. Um, 
So I'm gonna do, let me see if we're still, I need to like frequently check if this is still recording or if it has paused. All right, so I'm doing the story of Frank Olson. I'm just gonna leave it at that for okay. now. The the, right. the the death, I'll say, the death of The death of Frank, Frank Olson. Olson. We'll get to it, but I don't wanna spoil it yet. Okay. Okay, so a lot of the stuff I got this from, uh, a lot of the info I got was off of an article from The Guardian by Stephen Kinzer, and okay. then also a lot of Wikipedia pages. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so. Are you going to talk about... Um, nah, never mind. I'll, I'll just let, it, I'll let you get to it. I bet Harry knows some of this story. Um, there's just a there's just a person with that I want I wanted to ask you about, but I'll. There's a lot of names in here, town. so if it comes up, if the name comes up, uh-huh. so you can stop and talk about it. Okay. Okay. Ready? Around 2 a.m. on the morning of November 28th, 1953, Frank Olson plummeted onto the sidewalk in front of the Statler Hotel. Jimmy, the doorman at the Statler Hotel, was momentarily stunned. Then he turned and ran into the hotel lobby. Quote, we got a jumper, he shouted. We got a jumper. (laughs) I know, that's not funny, but like... That's funny. (laughs) It's kind of goofy. The night manager rushed to Olsen, who was still alive and who tried to mumble something. Olsen died before medical help arrived. After a few moments, he picked out a curtain flapping through an open window. It turned out to be the room 1018A. Two police officers entered the room 1018A with guns drawn, which I was like, when I read that, I was like, why? Yeah. Out of a guy who you'd think just, they were like jumped out of a window. Yeah. They had their guns drawn. Mm-hmm. Or from the most that could have happened is someone threw them out the window. So there was obviously no weapon involved. Right. <laughs> I'm like, why do you all need your guns I mean, drawn? They could have, you know, forced them out the window at gunpoint. Yeah. Okay. Well. But, I mean, they also probably would have left the room by then. Yeah. Unnecessary. <laughs> uh, they saw no one. The window was open. They pushed open the door to the bathroom and found Lashbrook sitting. Wait, what's his actual name? Lashbrook. Lashbrook. Let me try to find this. They found someone named Lashbrook. Something Lashbrook. Oh, damn. I'm sure I say it later in this. Lashbrook. I say it later in this. Okay. I have his full name in here. <laughs> okay. Lashbrook sitting on the toilet with his head in his hands. He had been sleeping, he said, and, quote, I heard a noise and then I woke up. Mm-hmm. He was in the room, yeah, with Frank. Frank? Olson. Olson. Leaving the police officers, the night manager returned to the lobby and asked the telephone operator if any calls had recently been made from room 1018A. Mm -hmm. Yes, she replied, and she had eavesdropped on the conversation, which wasn't an uncommon thing to do when um, the phones, the hotel phones were all routed through a switchboard. Sure. So sometimes when they were bored, they would just pick up the phone and, like, eavesdrop on rooms' phone calls. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So someone in the room had called a number on Long Island, which was listed as belonging to... Did I delete that? 
no. Someone Abramson. What the heck? Hang on, let me find these names. I'm <laughs> so mad. All first names. No, I. Or that's his last name. The CIA. Yeah, I know. Oh, the CIA deleted all the names. Shh. Um. Someone. Someone named Abramson. Okay, <laughs> hang on. Oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on. Did something get deleted in here that I'm not aware of? Someone doesn't want you talking about this. I guess not. I read this through before I read it, before I'm reading it. Anyway, this is a mess. This is already a mess. I'm so mad. Someone in the room called a number to on Long Island, which was listed to belonging to someone named Abramson. Okay. And they heard, quote, well, he's gone, the caller said. And Abram Abramson replied, well, that's too bad. Hmm. Interesting. Years later, the night manager recalled, uh, quote, in all my years in the hotel business, I never encountered a case where someone got up in the middle of the night, ran across a dark room in his underwear, avoiding two beds, dove through a closed window with the shades and curtains drawn. <laughs> Oh, the window was closed when he went through it? Mm hmm Apparently. Uh, okay. That's what they say. Interesting. Yeah. Early the next morning, one of Olson's close colleagues drove to Maryland to break the terrible news to the man's family, to Olson's family. Mm -hmm. He told Alice Olson, the wife, and her three children that Frank fell or jumped to his death from a hotel window. They were shocked, but accepted the story of suicide as they were told. Alice did not object when told that, given the condition of her husband's body, family members should not view it. The mm. funeral was held with a closed casket. Okay. Yes, and that's important. Now, this might not convince you yet that this is a sketchy situation, but I'm what if, baby. Wait, you will be more. What if I told you, I think you know, though, but what if I told you all listening that Olsen was working for none other than the CIA? <gasps> and the person on the phone was, oh, here's the, here's the name, Dr. Harold Abramson, a distinguished physician, an LSD expert, and one of CIA's medical collaborators. Oh, man. Oh, ba ba all right, so let's get into a little bit about Frank Olson and what he did in his career from start to when he died. Ready? Yeah. Frank Olson had been one of the first scientists assigned to the secret U.S. biological warfare laboratories at Fort Detrick. It's Fort Detrick, right? Mm -hmm. In uh, Frederick, Maryland, during the Second World War, where Olson began working with some colleagues who would accompany him throughout his career. One was Harold Abramson. Oh, okay. Others included ex-Nazi scientists who had been brought to work on secret missions in the U.S. For a time, they worked on aerosol technologies, which is ways to spray germs or toxins on enemies and to defend against such attacks. Later, Olson met with American intelligence officers who had experimented with, quote, truth drugs in Europe. Uh, Olson was discharged from the army in 1944, but remained at Fort Detrick on a civilian contract and continued his research in aerobiology. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. 
several times. He visited the secluded Dugway Proving Ground in Utah, which was used for testing living biological agents, agents, uh, munitions, and aerosol cloud production. Uh-huh. He co-authored a 220-page study entitled Experimental Airborne Infections, which described experiments with airborne clouds of highly infectious agents. <laughs> Great. Glad they were doing that. Yeah. <laughs> he has worked on some very highly classified things and very dangerous mm-hmm. things. Um In 1949, he traveled to the Caribbean for Operation Harness, which tested the vulnerability of animals to toxic clouds. The next year, he was part of Operation Sea Spray, (laughs) in which dust engineered to float like anthrax was really... Okay, wait. Which dust engineered to float like anthrax was released near San Francisco. He regularly traveled to Fort Terry, a secret army base on Plum Island, off the eastern tip of Long Island, which was used to test toxins too deadly to be brought onto the U.S. mainland. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (sighs) Yeah, I know. This is, uh, yeah. Uh, This was the period when senior army and CIA officers... Uh, were worried about Soviet progress toward mastering forms of warfare based on microbes. Mm -hmm. Their alarm led to the creation of the Special Operations Division. Rumors Rumors about its work spread through offices and laboratories. Olson learned of it through his colleague, John Schwab, who had been named the division's first chief. Schwab invited Olson to join, and Olson accepted immediately. Hmm. Less than a year later, Olson succeeded uh, Schwab as chief of the Special Operations Division. His job description was vague. It was to collect data of interest to the division with particular emphasis on the medico-biological aspects and coordinate his work with other agencies conducting work of a similar or related nature. Okay. (laughs) That meant the CIA. All right. Olson's specialty was the airborne distribution of biological germs. Mm-hmm. So he didn't technically work for the CIA yet. He just worked with the CIA. Right. Okay. By the time Olson stepped down as chief of the Special Operations Division in early 1953, complaining that the pressures of the job aggravated his ulcers, he had joined the CIA. Hey. <laughs> Which I don't understand how that's any less stressful. I mean, but okay. You just I guess get he's an not excuse. the chief of a. He's not chief of special whatever. Right, or you just you just got to give a reason if you're leaving your old job. You can't just say I'm going to join the CIA. Yeah, he stayed with the division, which was officially part of the army, but functioned as a CIA research station hidden within a military base. There, he came to know Sidney Got- Gottlieb. Gottlieb. Sidney. Sidney Gottlieb. Gottlieb. And his deputy, Robert Lashbrook. That's the guy from the beginning that was in the room with him when he jumped or fell. Robert Lashbrook. The two scientists who would soon be running a top-secret CIA project codenamed, do you know? Can you guess? MKUltra. MKUltra, baby. That's what it is. Nothing good ever happens when you're in a room with Sidney Gottlieb. So you know of this Sidney Gottlieb. I know of this Sidney Gottlieb you speak of. Mm-hmm. That's who you were going to ask if no, I, I was going to ask about uh, Jolly West. No, Jolly West is not in my story. Cool. 
because I wanted to talk about him in a future episode. Okay, cool. Good. I don't talk about him. I mean, it was fine if you talked about him. I just... No, <laughs> I didn't. So this guy is working in the MK Ultra program. And then he mysteriously falls to his death. Mm-hmm. And we'll get more into why they would have wanted to kill him. Okay. So this is juicy, right? Very juicy. This is interesting. It wasn't a suicide. <laughs> it's very um Okay. He knew a lot of stuff. I'm sure. Obviously, MK Ultra. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So Project, let me tell you a little bit about MK Ultra. Yeah, in case some it. people don't know much about MK Ultra. So Project MK Ultra, also called the CIA Mind Control Program is the code name given to a program of experiments on human subjects that were designed and undertaken by the U.S. CIA, some of which were illegal. (laughs) What Wikipedia said. I'm assuming all of them were illegal. Pretty much all of them were illegal. Except for maybe the people who volunteered, but even then. Right. (laughs) Certainly not. I don't think they were told the truth when they volunteered. Right. Experiments on humans were intended to identify and develop drugs and procedures to be used in interrogations in order to weaken the individual and force confessions through mind control. The project was organized through the Office of Scientific Intelligence of the CIA and coordinated with the United States Army Biological Warfare Laboratories. Mm-hmm. The operation was officially sanctioned in 1953, reduced in scope in 1964, and it was officially halted in 1973. The program engaged in many illegal activities, including the uh, use of U.S. and Canadian citizens in its unwitting test subjects. MK Ultra used numerous methods to manipulate its subjects' mental states and brain functions. Techniques included the covert administration of high doses of psychoactive drugs, specifically and especially LSD, and other chemicals, electroshocks, hypnosis, sensory deprivation, isolation, verbal and sexual abuse, as well as other forms of torture. And most of these people were not volunteering to be a subject of this. No, no, no. No. Well. Yeah, well, that throws off the whole experiment. Yeah. So you Project can't brainwash someone who wants to be brainwashed. Yeah. Project MK can. Ultra was first brought to public attention in 1975 by the Church Committee of the United States Congress and Gerald Ford's United States President's Commission on CIA Activities within the United States, also known as the Rockefeller Commission. Investigative efforts were hindered by CIA director Richard Helms' order that all MK Ultra files be destroyed in 1973. Mm-hmm. So the Church Committee and Rockefeller Commission investigations relied on the sworn testimony of direct participants and on the small number, well, relatively small number of documents that survived Helms' destruction order. Mm-hmm. Um direct participants and the thing the where when it says like direct participants i mean a lot of people just kind of have to assume that they were like being tested on like they were never told they're like i'm like 99.9 percent positive that i was an mk ultra looking back on it subject seems like i was being experimented on Mm -hmm. which like sucks because it was a lot of people in like hospitals like mental patients or uh prisoners Mm -hmm. or 
people who they thought were unimportant. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Basically. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Like that. And also, I mean, soldiers in like army hospitals and stuff too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, mm hmm I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, so in 1977, a Freedom of Information Act request uncovered a cache of 20,000 documents relating to Project MKUltra, which led uh, to a Senate hearing later that year. Some surviving information regarding MKUltra was declassified in July 2001. In December 2018, declassified documents included a letter to an unidentified doctor discussing work on six dogs made to run, turn, and stop via remote control and brain implants. So they got, like, they would put, they put, like, chips in these dogs, like, heads, hmm. and then they were able to, like, basically control them with the remote, get them hmm. to walk in squares. Uh-huh. Like Elon Musk just did with that pig. He, he, oh. Yeah, he just like uh the other just the other day he like unveiled like mm. a a brain chip that he like tested on pigs. Mm -hmm. You saw about yeah, I heard about, about that. that. Yeah, 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 I didn't look into it too much because who who cares about Elon Musk? Yeah, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, most of these people were um like prisoners or like soldiers and mm -hmm. people in hospitals, yeah. like just people just, in hospitals sure. not even like military hospitals mm -hmm. and then a lot of people who were had some sort of like mental disability or were in like a mental mm -hmm. psychiatric hospital yeah i don't know if mental hospital is the proper can you call it that i don't know <laughs> um but yeah which is like extremely sad because they are all very much abused <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um anyway so that's depressing, I mean, but that's MK Ultra. Mm -hmm. I I also think it's interesting. I don't know nothing. It's just interesting that it started in the fifties, like around the time that, um, like during the Viet or the Korean War, when like Korean or American POWs like would be on like they would go on like um you know Korean radio and stuff and like we have to like you know admit to like. Uh, use dropping like chemical weapons and committing war crimes and stuff and then when they got back to the united states they would say they were brainwashed and stuff and now we are deprogramming them yeah to, uh, so they take all take back all their admitting to doing the war crimes that they were doing over there yeah i read there was some about that in what i read mm -hmm. um and a little bit about how frank olsen like knew about all of that going right. on and knew all the details of what they had like you know admitted to but then didn't admit to right yeah yeah so he knew a lot of stuff mm -hmm. um, so yeah that that's also it's all very messed up so gottlieb that bitch <laughs> <laughs> was the cia's chief poison maker over two decades, he oversaw medical experiments and special interrogation projects in which hundreds of people were tormented and many minds were permanently damaged. This is still a little bit about uh, MKUltra, I guess. Gottlieb specifically wanted to discover how much LSD a human being could take. <laughs> uh, could there be a breaking point, a dose so massive that it would shatter the mind and wipe out all memories and previous knowledge in order to plant new impulses or even a new personality? That's mm. what he was interested in. Uh -huh. So a lot of these people were just given so much LSD. <laughs> right, yeah, I know. Uh, LSD was like a huge part of 
mm-hmm. MK Ultra and like brainwashing. They thought it could be used yeah, for like brainwashing, like... which I just think is really funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Honestly, I don't like I feel bad for the people who are just given LSD 24 seven to see what would happen. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure that really messed them up. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that messed them up. But, like, I'm thinking about the people who are given, like, electroshock therapy and, like, were abused physically and stuff. I'm like, I'd yeah. rather have the LSD. Well, I mean, a lot of them got all of it. All they of it, saying, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I know. If LSD along with, you know, they were doing electroshock other very ter- bad therapy things at the and, same time. Yeah, they like, were, like, doing all of it in combination to see if it would just break them. Yeah. Mentally. Mm-hmm. Which, like, ugh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... In his laboratory at Fort Detrick, Olson directed experiments that involved gassing or poisoning laboratory animals. These experiences disturbed him. Quote, he'd come to work in the morning and see piles of dead monkeys, his son Eric later recalled. Quote, the messes, that messes with you. He wasn't the right guy for that. End quote. Olson also saw human beings suffer. He observed and monitored torture sessions in several countries. I left out the gruesome details of what he had to see because it was really sick. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to say any of that. Uh It was like really in detail. Uh And I was like, no, just they were torture sessions is what I'll say. And he he was the one like he had to like observe it and Uh like write stuff about it. And I'm like, but he never like did any of the torturing he just had to like watch it for his job and i'm like (laughs) yeah i mean i feel worse for the people being tortured no me too i'm just saying like that's a sucky job yeah i know but still you were watching it and not doing anything about it he still he kept the job (laughs) decades later people started to question whether the death of frank olsen was a suicide or not this was because some secrets came out uh, uh, from the CIA. So um, mm-hmm. one of them was the CIA admitted that shortly before he died, Olson's colleagues had lured him to a retreat and fed him LSD without his knowledge. Oh. Uh, then it turned out that Olson had talked about leaving the CIA oh. and told his wife that he had made a, quote, terrible mistake. Oh, no. Olson was disturbed about his work and wanted to quit, leading his comrades to consider him a security risk. He was, like, getting real messed up from the job, and he's uh-huh. like, yeah, I don't like this. I don't yeah. want to do it sure. anymore. So, like, I... He obviously seems like a some... Like, not a great human, but he was like, yeah, I don't like <laughs> the work I'm doing. He really seems on some level human. Yeah, I know. He's not like a psychopath. Yeah. Or like a sociopath or whatever. He has feelings. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I don't know. So I labeled this section the LSD trip. Okay. (laughs) Cool. They go on a trip and they have LSD. The LSD trip. Get it? It's funny. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Like a like a physical like. Yeah, I'm gonna talk about the trip that they go on. They go on a real. Okay. Got it. They go on a. They go on a. Got it. A trip. Yeah, a retreat I trip. I get it. Now, now, so, I, now I understand. Remember when fully. he was like lured to a retreat? Yeah. And they gave and him LSD? Yeah, That's what I'm going to talk what about. That's talking about. The LSD trip. Mm-hmm. So Wednesday, November 18th of some year that I didn't write down. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> oh, man. This is rough. Olsen went to a retreat at a cabin at Deep, Deep Creek Lake in Western Maryland. 
This retreat was one in a series of many that Gottlieb put together every few months. Hmm. Officially, it was a coming together of two groups, four CIA scientists from the technical services staff, which ran MKUltra, and five army scientists from the Special Operations Division of the Chemical Corps. They would gather, discuss their projects, and exchange ideas in a relaxed environment. So, uh, on Thursday evening, the group gathered for dinner and then settled back for a round of drinks. They all All drank uh, heavily. Um, sure. And then about 20 minutes later, after they sat down for their initial drink, mm-hmm. Gottlieb asked if anyone was feeling odd. Mm. Several said they were. Gottlieb then told them that their drinks had been spiked with LSD. <laughs> the, the guy, you know, who's obsessed with LSD. Yeah. Yeah, he spiked everyone's drink with LSD. Well, of course. The news was not well received. <laughs> Even in their altered state, They could understand what had been done to them. (laughs) Olsen was especially upset. According to his son, Eric, he became, quote, quite agitated and was having a serious confusion with separating reality from fantasy, Hmm. end quote. Gottlieb later reported that they were, quote, boisterous and laughing, unable to continue the meeting or engage in sensible conversations, end quote. (laughs) The next morning, they were in only slightly better shape. The meeting broke up. Olsen headed back to uh, Frederick. Okay. So the next morning, November 23rd, Olsen showed up early at Fort Dietrich. His boss, Vincent Ruit, arrived soon after. Mm-hmm. More than four days had passed since they had been given LSD without their knowledge. Mm. Ruit later called it, quote, the most frightening experience I have ever had or hope to have, end quote. <laughs> Which I'm just like, guys... You took LSD once, (laughs) and you know what you're doing to the other people in this little program you're involved with, right? right? You're constantly feeding them that and torturing them. Yeah. And you took LSD on a little boy's trip Mm -hmm. while you were having a drink with the guys, and now you're like, that was the scariest thing that has ever happened to me, and it was so traumatizing that I'm still traumatized from it. Boo-hoo. And I'm like, they were so mad that they were drugged without their consent. And I'm like, that's the entire program that you're coming here to talk about is drugging people without their consent. (laughs) It just made me mad. They're all being big babies about it. And then Mm -hmm. they're like, this isn't fair. Why would they do this to me? And I'm like, that's, this is what, this is exactly what you're doing. I know. To these groups of people who don't know they're being drugged and... (laughs) <laughs> tortured for like some weird cia mind control experiment mm-hmm. so that part just made me angry all these men are like Meh, you fed me lsd and now yeah. i'm upset they all secretly loved it I'm that's sure. what i'm saying people would pay people pay lots of money to go go in the woods and take lsd yeah they should be thanking this guy Anyway, Olsen began expressing his concerns and fears about that night and the future to his boss. Quote, he appeared to be agitated and asked me if I should fire him or if he should quit. End quote. Ruit later recalled. <laughs> Ruit tried to calm him, assured him that his work was excellent and uh, recognized as much. Slowly, Olsen was persuaded that resigning was too extreme of a reaction <laughs> to being drugged. By your boss. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about think that. that's too extreme of a reaction, <laughs> but okay. Well, 
By this time, MKUltra had been underway for seven months. It was one of the government's deepest secrets, guarded by security that was, quote, tighter than tight, Mm -hmm. end quote. Barely two dozen men knew details of the program. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's crazy. It is. Olsen has spent 10 years at Fort Detrick and knew most, if not all, of the Special Operation Division's secrets. He had repeatedly visited Germany and brought home pictures from Heidelberg and Berlin, where the U.S. military had interrogation centers. He was one of several Special Operations Division scientists who were in France on the 16th of August of 1951, when an entire French village was mysteriously seized by mass hysteria and violent delirium that afflicted Mm -hmm. more than 200 residents and caused several deaths. Uh The cause was later determined to have been poisoned, poisoning by ergot, the fungus from which LSD is derived. Okay. Um... Perhaps most threatening of all, if U.S. forces did indeed use biological weapons during the Korean War, Mm -hmm. for which there is circumstantial evidence but no proof, Olsen would have known. The idea that he would possibly spill these secrets was scary for the others involved with MK Ultra. Mm -hmm. Yeah, once you're in like... Once you're in that deep and stuff, you don't you don't get out. I know. They, they can't let you leave. Mm-hmm. I know. Quote, he was very, very open and not scared to say what he thought. Mm-mm. Olsen's friend and Oof. colleague Norman Cornoyer later recalled, he did not give a damn. Frank Olsen pulled no punches at any time. That's what they were scared of, I am sure. End quote. Yeah, that's not how you want to be. I know. Olson's doubts deepened. In spring 1953, he visited the top-secret microbiological research establishment in Porton Down in Wiltshire, where government scientists were studying the effects of sarin Mm -hmm. on nerve gases and other nerve gases. On May 6th, a volunteer subject, a 20-year-old soldier, was do- dosed with sarin there, being began foaming at the mouth, collapsed into convulsions, and died an hour later. Afterwards, Olson spoke about his discomfort with the psychiatrist who helped direct the research, William Sargent. Okay, Sargent? Sargent. Sargent, oh, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> A month later, Olsen was back in Germany. Mm. On that trip, according to a later reconstruction of his travels, Olsen, quote, visited a CIA safe house near Stuttgart, mm-hmm. where, he and so- where he saw men dying, often in agony from the weapons he had made, end quote. Shouldn't have made those weapons, dude. I know. After stops in Scandinavia and Paris, he returned to Britain and visited Sargant again. Immediately after their, after their meeting, Sargant wrote a report saying that Olsen was, quote, deeply disturbed over what he had seen in CIA's safe house in Germany and displayed symptoms of not wanting to keep secret what he had witnessed. Um. Um, yeah, so he spoke to this psychiatrist. Okay, yeah, well, this, this psychiatrist is the reason he died. But I don't think he's a real psychiatrist. Oh. Did I delete that? He was just some guy who was also involved with MKUltra, so they're like, go to this psychiatrist. Uh Uh-huh. But he wasn't a psychiatrist. It was just some guy that they're like, well, he can tell him his secrets, and then he can tell us what he wants to do. Oh, got it. But he wasn't a psychiatrist. (laughs) 
I think I go into that later. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. Uh, yeah. So he sent his report to his superiors with an understanding that they would forward it to the CIA. Sergeant, Sergeant, I don't know, said later, <laughs> there were common interests to protect. Five days after being dosed with LSD, Olsen was still disoriented. <laughs> what a baby. I guess that's traumatic if you were I... drugged. But then I just think about all the people they're drugging and that mm-hmm. you are watching being drugged. Uh. <laughs> like, that's what makes me mad. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ruit, his boss at the Special Operations Division, called Gottlieb to report this. Mm-hmm. Gottlieb asked him to bring Olsen in for a chat. At their meeting, Gottlieb, Gottlieb later testified Olsen seemed confused in certain areas of his thinking. Mm-hmm. He made a quick decision. Olsen must be taken to New York City and delivered to the physician most intimately tied to MK Ultra, Harold Abramson. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, so they sent him to Harold Abramson. He's the fake faker. Oh, okay. Alice Olsen was told that Abramson was chosen because her husband, quote, had to see a physician who had equal security clearance so he could talk freely. That was partly true. Abramson was not a psychiatrist. Okay. Well, he, he, was, he was a doctor, like a doctor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he was going to talk to him like a psychiatrist. Sure. Uh-huh. But he was an MK Ultra initiate. Gottlieb knew that Abramson's first loyalty was to MK Ultra, or that he would have put it to the security of the U.S., uh, or as he would have put it, to the security of the U.S. <laughs> that made him the ideal person to talk to Olson. Olson told Abramson that ever since the Deep Creek Lake retreat, mm-hmm. he had been unable to work well. He could not concentrate and forgot how to spell. He could not sleep. But do you remember Abramson from the beginning of the story? Yeah. He's the one that that guy made the phone call to. Yeah. Who was like, yeah, he's gone. And then mm-hmm. Abramson was like, oh, that's too bad, bitch. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly what the quote was, too. I think so. I think you got it exactly right. <laughs> uh, let me see if we're still recording. Okay, good. A week had passed since Olson was given LSD at Deep Creek Creek. Deep Creek Lake. I kept thinking <laughs> Creek, it was... Deep Lake. I thought it was Deer Creek Lake, but it's Deep Creek Lake, and I don't <laughs> like that name. He planned to return to his family for Thanksgiving dinner. The day after seeing Abramson, accompanied by Lashbrook and Ruit, he... I'm sorry, I had to burp. <laughs> he boarded a flight to Washington. An MK Ultra colleague was waiting when, he, when they landed. Ruit and Olson got into his car for the drive to Frederick. Soon after they set off, Olsen's mood changed. He asked that the car be stopped. Olsen turned to Ruit and said that he felt, quote, ashamed to meet his wife and family because he was so mixed up, or end quote at family because he was, quote, so mixed up, end quote. Mm. Uh, Ruit asked, what do you want me to do? And then Olsen said, just let me go. Let me go off by myself. Ruit said, I can't do that. Olsen said, well then, just turn me over to the to the police. They're looking for me anyway. Which is basically him saying, I'm going to tell everything to the cops or mm-hmm. whatever. I don't know. Ruit suggested Olsen return to New York for another session with Abramson. Olsen agreed, so they took a taxi to Abramson's weekend home on Long Island. 
Abramson spent about an hour with Olson, followed by twenty minute followed by a twenty minute meeting with Lashbrook. Got it. So this so Lashbrook and Abramson were the two guys who were talking on the phone. Yeah. Uh, after he had jumped out of the window mm-hmm. and then, um, so they have him in the car, they take him back to Abramson's place. Yeah. So he after talks to Abramson some more and then Abramson and Lashbrook have a talk. Mm-hmm. Got it. And this is right after he's basically like, I need to quit or tell the police what we're doing. They're like, how about you go see Abramson again? Right. So then the next morning, Abramson, Lashbrook and Olson. The OG3 from the beginning of the story <laughs> drove back to Manhattan. During a session at his 58th Street office, Abramson persuaded Olson that he should agree to be hospitalized as a voluntary patient at a Maryland sanatorium. Olson and Lashbrook left and registered at the Statler Hotel and were given room 1018A. Mm-hmm. All right, the oh, scene of the crime. Mm hmm. So over dinner at the Statler, Olson told Lashbrook that he was looking forward to his hospitalization. He mused about books he would read, and Lashbrook later said that he was almost the Dr. Olson I knew before the experiment. Mm -hmm. The two returned to their room. Olson washed his socks in the sink and hung them up to dry and watched TV for a while and then went to sleep. At 2.25 a.m., he went out the window. Hmm interesting that he washes his socks i just i know you can't read too much into it because it could just be like a oh i'm feeling like like uh-huh. but like he was excited to be hospitalized not excited but ready to get better yeah and then he wanted to clean his socks go to bed yeah and he jumped out of the window mm-hmm. yeah and he basically was like i can't do this anymore and then they're like how about you go back and see abramson and right. then literally, like, after that meeting, he died. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh... Oh, yeah, he... He was murdered. Yeah, for Absolutely sure. Absolutely murdered. Like, there's no doubt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sheffield Edwards, at the Office of Security, announced how to how the cover-up would unfold. Uh-huh. First, the New York police would be persuaded not to investigate and to cooperate in misleading the press. Mm-hmm. Second, a fake career or a legend would be constructed for Lashbrook, who, as the sole witness, would be questioned by investigators and would under no circumstances be recognized as working for the CIA, much less MK Ultra. Third, the Olsen family would have to be informed and kept cooperative. Mm-hmm. While Alice at home in Maryland was being informed of her husband's death, Lashbrook was welcoming the CIA CIA agent James McSee. Later, he was identified as James McCord. Uh-huh. McCord had previously been an FBI agent specializing in counterintelligence. Making police investigations evaporate was one of his specialties. Uh-huh. McCord took uh, the first morning plane to New York and arrived at the Statler about 8 a.m. He spent an hour questioning Lashbrook and then at about 9.30 a.m. told him to go to the morgue at Bellevue Hospital at the poli- as the police had requested to identify Olson's body. While he, while he was away, McCord searched room 1018A in nearby rooms inch by inch. Shortly after noon... Uh, Lashbrook returned to the Statler, where McCord was waiting. Over the next few hours, Lashbrook made a series of phone calls, one to Gottlieb when he hung up, one to Gottlieb, 
When he hung up, he told McCord that Gottlieb had instructed him to go to Abramson's office, pick up a report, and take it back to Washington by hand. Lashbrook carried Abramson's report to Washington on the midnight train. CIA security officers in New York took care of the remaining details. Mm -hmm. The investigating police detective concluded that Olson had died from multiple fractures subsequent upon a jump or fall. Subsequent upon a jump or fall. That became that became the official narrative. Mm-hmm. Despite the successful cover-up, it yeah. seemed, Olson's death was a near disaster for the CIA. It came close to threatening the existence of MK Ultra, sure. and then they decided to proceed as if Olson's death had never happened. Hmm. On June 12, 1975... Uh-oh. The Washington Post ran a story about an army scientist who had been drugged with LSD by the CIA, reacted badly, and jumped out of a window of a New York hotel. Uh-huh. So that was like the narrative that they were trying to sell, that he was so messed up from the uh-huh. drugging that he went insane and jumped out of the window. Oh, okay. Oh, so, I, so like they, the CIA planted that story for the Washington Post. I guess Post. so. Or it's not like the Washington Post. Okay, got it. Yeah. The Olson family called a press conference in the family's backyard, but the Olsons were never informed that that had, like, happened. Right. They were just told that he was sad and jumped out of the window. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they read this article, and they're like, what? Mm -hmm. What happened? So... (laughs) Okay. I don't know where the Washington Post got it. I don't... I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Alice read a statement saying that the family had decided to file a lawsuit against the CIA, perhaps within two weeks, asking several million dollars in damages. She insisted that her husband had not acted irrational or sick during the last days of his life, but was very melancholy and said he was going to leave his job. Quote, since 1953, we have struggled to understand Frank Olson's death as an inexplicable suicide, end quote. Uh, She said, uh, then, quote, the true nature of his death was concealed for 22 years, Mm -hmm. end quote. So then they were, like, believing this other narrative that randomly came out. Right. Because the first one was just he was sad about his job. Uh Uh-huh. So he quit. And so he decided to jump out of... Right. Jumped out Uh of the window. And then the second thing that came out was like, oh... And this was right, right. after MK Ultra like, ended, ended right. was and was like, like made known to the public. Okay. Oh in yeah. 1975. Right. So I think they read about the experiment gone wrong, and the Washington Post like broke this theory. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. Because they read stuff. That's what I'm pretty sure. That's what it was. They like made up this theory, and then the family was like, "Wait, wait a second. That's what happened. You killed him because you drugged him." Right, yeah. So they still thought he jumped out of the window right. because they drugged him. Got it, yeah. Do you, so, so do you, so, okay. So the Washington Post story see, is like... Probably, I don't think it was planted by the CIA. Oh, you don't think that? I don't think so. It could have been, but it was know. a different narrative than they put out in 50-something. Right, yeah. So that's, but, you, but I mean, so you think that he was like thrown out the window, right? Rather than being drugged and... Yeah, I'll get to that later. There's more information later. 
Okay. Uh, so right now, the family believes that this is what happened. Got it. Or it had something to do with the drugging mm-hmm. that happened. Right. Um, so then they're like, yeah, we're suing you. <laughs> Besides announcing the plans to sue the CIA, the Olson family also asked the New York Police Department to open a new investigation. The Manhattan District Attorney, Robert Morgenthau, replied immediately promising that his office would begin looking into certain aspects of the case. So I think the family was like, this is fishy. It just needs to be looked into again. Uh-huh. Right. So they might not have believed that he did it to himself or maybe someone pushed him. But I think with the new stuff coming out, they're like, hmm, mm-hmm. I don't think this is real. Like, right. I don't think what they told us was right. Yeah. So alarm bells went off at the White House after the Olson family announced its plan to sue the CIA. Mm-hmm. A lawsuit, if allowed to proceed, would give the family, as well as homicide detectives in New York, a tool they could use to force disclosure of deep secrets. Mm-hmm. President Ford's chief of staff, Ronald Rumsfeld, and his deputy Dick Cheney recognized the danger. I think it's, was it, I think it's Donald Rumsfeld. What did I say? You said Ronald. (laughs) It's Donald. It says Donald here. I said Ronald Rumsfeld. (laughs) Donald Rumsfeld. And his deputy Dick Cheney recognized the danger. Cheney warned Rumsfeld in a memo that a lawsuit might force the CIA to, quote, disclose highly classified national security information, end quote. He recommended that Ford make a public expression of regret and express a willingness to meet personally with Mrs. Olson and her children. Mm-hmm. So, Ford invited Alice and her three adult children to the White House. On July 21st, 1975, they met in the Oval Office. He apologized on behalf of the government. Later, they met with CIA Director William Colby at the agency's HQ in Langley, Virginia. He mm-hmm. apologized for what he called a terrible thing that should have never happened. Okay. So... Some of our people were out of control in those days, Colby said. They went mm-hmm. too far. There were problems of supervision and administration. I think they were apologizing for the drugging. Yeah, yeah. That's what it seems like. White House lawyers offered the Olson family $750,000 in exchange for dropping its legal claims. Okay. After some hesitation, the family accepted. Congress passed a special bill approving the payment, and that would have closed the case. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, at Olson's funeral, back in whenever, mm-hmm. Gottlieb had told grieving relatives that if they ever had questions about what happened, oh. he would be happy to answer them. Uh-oh. And more than two decades later, at the end of 1984, the family had decided to accept his offer and called to <laughs> an, arrange an appointment. Uh-oh. Yeah. He when, wasn't expecting that. No. Called when Alice, Eric, and Nils Olsen appeared at his door, his first reaction was relief. Quote, I'm so happy you don't have a weapon, Gottlieb <laughs> said. <laughs> I had a dream last night that you all arrived at this door and shot me. <laughs> Later, Eric would comment on Gottlieb's manipulative power. Mm-hmm. Quote, before we even got through the door, we were apologizing to him and reassuring him. <laughs> I was. It was a brilliant and sophisticated way of turning the whole thing around, which I didn't even think about. I just thought it was like a weird-ass comment that he made. Right. And then when he, the, this guy mentioned that that was very, ex, like, extremely manipulative. Yeah. Because, like, then they started off the conversation with, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, we no, that 
that's not that's oh. not at all what we're doing here, you know. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm like that is so mani- like that is like really manipulative. Yeah, that's but good. you don't realize it in the moment and I mm-hmm. didn't realize it until he later said like now that I think about it, yeah. that's extremely manipulative like behavior. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. It's wild stuff. I'm still Okay, I'm I'm still trying to figure out if the CIA like planned like after like after they like wrapped up MK Ultra or maybe quote unquote wrapped up MK Ultra if they planted that story in the Washington Post. Yeah, I don't know. Or if that was said. the Washington Post like picking up on it. I don't know. It never said. Yeah. So, but I feel like why would they plant that story? Then it caused this whole thing with the Olsen family, and yeah, I know it caused more problems. Mm-hmm, that's what Why it seems would they like. bring out more information? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I think it, yeah, I just, it doesn't make sense that they would plant it, but I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. So he began telling the family what had happened at Deep Creek Lake on November nineteenth of nineteen fifty three. <laughs> That's the year. Yeah. Olsen and others were given LSD, he said, as part of an experiment to see, quote, what would happen if a scientist were taken prisoner and drugged? Would he divulge secret research and information? Your father and I were very much alike. We both got into this because of, patri- because of patriotic feeling, but we both went a little too far and we did things that we probably should not have, end quote. <laughs> He would not say what aspects of MK Ultra went a little too far, <laughs> or what he and Olsen did that they probably should not have done, nor would he entertain questions about inconsistencies of the story of Olsen's death. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the family were rising to leave, Gottlieb pulled Eric, one of the sons, aside, who right. was like specifically really grilling him with questions. Yeah. And he said, or Gottlieb said, You are obviously very troubled by your father's suicide. Have you ever considered getting into a therapy group for people whose parents have committed suicide? (laughs) Eric did not follow that suggestion, but it left a deep impression on him. For years, he had been confused and depressed by the story of his father's death. After meeting Gottlieb, he decided to look into the details even further. Mm-hmm. Quote, I didn't have the confidence then in my, in my skepticism to ignore his ploys. But when he made that therapy group suggestion, that was the moment when he overplayed his hand. Mm-hmm. At that moment, I understand how much Gottlieb had a stake in diffusing me. And it was also at that moment that the determination to show that he had played a role in murdering my father was born. (laughs) Eric Olsen waited another decade until his mother died before he exhumed his father's body Mm -hmm. on June 2nd, 1994. Oh, Oh, damn. This is when stuff gets juicy about why he was murdered instead of, (laughs) like, actual, like, real, like, oh, yeah, this just really solidifies it, you know? Got it. A forensic pathologist, James Stars, of George Washington University Law School, spent a month studying Olson's body. Mm-hmm. When he was finished, he called a news conference. So this is the guy that the Olsons hired to right. study mm-hmm. the body. His tests for toxins in the body, he reported, had turned up nothing. But the wound pattern was interesting. Mm-hmm. Stars had found no glass shards on the victim's head or neck, as might be expected if he had dived through a closed window. Right. 
Yeah. So yeah. most intriguing, though, Olsen had reportedly landed on his back. He landed on his back. Okay. But his skull above his left eye was disfigured. Uh-huh. His team searched the body for any cuts and abrasions and found none, even though the original autopsy only listed minor cuts and abrasions on the body. They also found a large injury on his chest, mm. even though he fell on his back. Right. So they found two large injuries on his face, on like his eye area, mm-hmm. his left eye, and on his chest. But right. he fell on his but, back, mm-hmm. and the original autopsy said that there was just like cuts and bruises right. and he died from like fractions fractures 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 <laughs> <laughs> he died from fractures of the, yeah. to the body but there was like two apparently like huge like yeah things on uh, his body injuries like on his injuries on his front um again yeah he landed on his back Most of the team concluded that the blunt force trauma to the head and the injury to the chest had not occurred during the fall, but most likely before the fall. Uh, Stars called the evidence, quote, rankly and starkly suggestive of homicide. I quote, I would venture to say that the hematoma and singular evidence of the possibility that Dr. Olson was struck a stunning blow to the head by some person or instrument prior to his exiting through the window of room 1018A. Stars concluded, quote, I think Frank Olson was intentionally, deliberately, with malice afterthought, thrown out of that window. A forethought? Yeah, a forethought. <laughs> with malice, a forethought. Malice and afterthought. Yeah, it didn't make sense. I was like, afterthought. With malice, afterthought. Uh, because Olsen's hey, family you members... Know, when, I, when I threw that guy out the window, that was kind of malicious. Shut up. Okay. What? Don't, I'm dumb. I'm reading a lot here. I know okay? you are. It's been like an hour. I know. It's been a lot. Because Olsen's family members had signed away their right to legal relief when they accepted their $750,000 compensation payment in 1975, they could not sue the CIA. Mm-hmm. On August 8, 2002, the day before the reburial, Eric called reporters to his home and announced that he had reached a new conclusion about what had happened to his father. Quote, The death of Frank Olsen on November 28th, 1953 was a murder, not a suicide. This is not an LSD drug experiment story as it was represented in 1975. This is a biological warfare story. Frank Olson did not die because he was an experimental guinea pig who experienced a bad trip. He died because of concern that he would divulge information concerning a highly classified CIA interrogation program in the early 1950s and concerning the use of biological weapons by the United States in the Korean War. End quote. Hmm. In 2017, Stephen Sirocco, a retired New York assistant dire- district attorney who had investigated the Olson case and remained interested in it, made his first visit to the hotel room where Olson spent his final night looking around the room. Uh, looking around the room, Sirocco said, raised... Raise the question, wait, Soraka raised the question of how Olsen could have done it. Uh, I don't know what that means. Quote, (laughs) 
If this would have been a suicide, it would have been a very, it would have been very difficult to accomplish, end quote. Sorako concluded, quote, there was motive to kill him. He knew the deepest, darkest secrets of the Cold War. Would the American government kill an American citizen who was a scientist, who was working for CIA and the army, if they thought he was a security risk? There are people who say definitely. I say definitely. What do you think? Uh, the guy was murdered. Yeah, do you think that's an interesting story? Yeah, no, I do. Absolutely. I, th- I think there's a Netflix There is. It's called... Wormwood? Wormwood. It's called yeah. Wormwood. I wanted to watch it before I did this, but then I'm like, now nah, watch it after. Yeah. Yeah, there's a documentary called Wormwood. Apparently, Eric uh, tried to sue not the CIA, but some operations division of some government. Uh-huh. And then uh, in 2012... Like the Special Operations Division of the like Defense Department yeah, that yeah, he yeah. was like, interacting with? Yeah, that one. But then the court dismissed it because they said that the CIA agreement that they came to with the CIA mm-hmm. in 1975 wouldn't uh, allow it. I see. And so... Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But they like made a statement that was like, even though it's... Uh, pretty obvious that mm-hmm. you're right right we, it's not we can't do it because you signed papers in 1975 Got which it. is bullshit it makes me really mad mm-hmm. i agree i mean i mean it's not i mean he was obviously not a not a, like he deserved to die the guy i mean he didn't deserve to be killed by those people they also deserved to die <laughs> well no one deserves to die okay no one i agree with you i'm just saying that like they weren't good i i know i'm like this wasn't a good guy <laughs> yeah no, it's if not a read... tragedy that this guy like <laughs> no like i just think it's interesting because he was definitely like murdered mm-hmm. and they covered it up and made it look like a suicide right but i'm also like he was absolutely murdered and it was absolutely covered up like mm-hmm. this is obvious it's fair it's extremely obvious but also mm-hmm. did you hear any of the stuff that this guy <laughs> did he yeah. like tested on animals specifically like terrible things and he made weapons like aeros- aerosol whatever mm-hmm. weapons yeah. that killed people and poisoned people so i'm like you made those things knowing that they were going to be used on yeah. innocent people right <laughs> And also, he like watched all of these torture sessions of mm-hmm. in the MK Ultra program, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, you're not a good guy. I know. And then complained about him being drugged with LSD, <laughs> like it really messed him up. And I'm like, okay, buddy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. That makes me mad. How all of them were just so angry and so <laughs> terrified, and how they were so messed up for so long after that. And I'm like. What the actual fuck? Like, <laughs> this is exactly what you are doing right. to hundreds and thousands of people. Yeah. And then it happens to you and you're just appalled. <laughs> it just makes me really angry to think about. When I was reading that, I got so mad. I'm like, what? Excuse me? Yeah. You're uh, right. It's, uh... Isn't that an interesting story? Mm-hmm. It is. I'm glad that. I'm glad that uh, we finally had a MK Ultra story. Well, I, I was just going to talk about MK Ultra, uh-huh. but then I was like, 
Mm, let's just talk about a specific. I know there's like there's so much to MK Ultra. I know I've been like put it. I've wanted to talk about it for a long time, but like I've been like putting it off because there's so much to talk about with it. Yeah, so I've just been trying. I'm like MK Ultra is like an interesting topic, and there's a lot of like conspiracies about it, conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. and I want to talk more about MK Ultra and like certain. Mm-hmm. parts of it and certain things that came out of it stuff like this kind yeah. of like that's interesting mm-hmm. i talked like basic like the basics of mk ultra but there's a lot of in-depth stuff that you For could sure. talk about yeah so i i didn't want to talk about just mk ultra because it's such a big topic and i did this in like two days mm-hmm. so i was like there's no way i could talk about mk ultra yeah no i was i was looking up and steven kinzer sounded familiar because he also wrote a book about Sidney Gottlieb, a poisoner in chief that I've been yeah. meaning to read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should see if the library has it as mm-hmm. a new book. Um, no, it's, I thought this story was like super fascinating because they had obviously, I mean, they killed innocent people all the time for this MK Ultra shit, so they don't <laughs> care about killing this Solson guy. Right. It's just an interesting story about another, mm-hmm. about how the government likes to yeah. Make things look like suicide when they were murdered. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I just go down this rabbit hole in my brain about how messed up the government is and how many like secrets of the government there are and how many people they're just using as like little lab rats that, <laughs> you know, we'll never know about because right. they're just like these secret programs that we'll never know about. Yeah. Have you like heard anything about like the uh multiple like bodies of like soldiers that they've been finding in the lake near fort hood mm-hmm. yeah something's going on with that fort hood that's the one um fort hood is where i think a lot of soldiers have like gone missing mm-hmm. specifically uh i believe i was listening to a where's my phone i don't know let me go get it real quick i was listening to a a podcast about a couple people who had gone missing and who were probably like murdered Uh at fort hood and they were like obviously something needs to be looked into if so many soldiers are going missing in fort hood right and then i recently saw that another like body that a body was like actually found Mm -hmm. in fort hood of like a missing person but they found several bodies several the last few months like seven so i want to talk about that because it's actually really uh yeah we should talk about that i mean fort hood is also where i mean that shooting happened like several years ago uh the fort hood shooting <laughs> yeah i need to hang on one second I like keep talking a, i feel like there's another like mk ultra related story that it's either uh it might be a base in oklahoma actually Maybe not Fort Hood. That had something to do with Fort Hood. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It's probably not MK Ultra Part Two. It's probably just uh, I don't know some uh, serial killer around Fort Hood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hang on. Let me. Or maybe it's a CIA serial killer. I'm or... trying to think of. I'm looking this up to see if it's Fort Hood that they were talking about mm-hmm. or not. Right. Keep talking. Oh. Because uh, it's loading. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, 
Yeah, well, there are there are several other MK Ultra related things that I want to talk about with regard to um, at least one like famous cult um, that may be connected, and like um, well, I already mentioned Jolly West, um, who was another like doctor uh, or scientist who was re related to it, who was doing a lot of. A lot of uh, experiments into LSD and stuff, and and all the he's connected to a bunch of interesting uh, interesting events. Um, yeah. Um, what else was it? Yeah, I've just I've just been putting off. I've I've wanted to do like a big MK Ultra like episode, but I that would take too much concentration and effort for me to yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> So I think it's good. I think we should split it up into several episodes. Just return to MK Ultra many times. This is about MK Ultra, what not MK Ultra. Fort Hood. Fort Hood. Um, so I was listening to uh, the Murder Squad, right? And it, uh, it's uh, Paul Holes and billy jensen i think paul holes is the guy who basically like broke open and solved like the um golden state killer uh case right with, uh with the help of michelle nachmer mcnamara yeah so he was like he was uh he did a lot of like the early work and i think he was retired by the time he mm -hmm. had the whole thing had been like solved, but he right. had to like go and like testify at the trial and stuff because he like worked on the case and like helped solve it. Anyway, they do on their podcast they do stories of uh, unsolved like murders or like missing person cases or like mm -hmm. basically unsolved murders or they'll cover like a serial killer who probably had more victims uh -huh. and then they give uh people they give everyone who listens like tasks at the end of like here are these photos that this serial killer had in his binder if you can pass these along so we can get these women identified mm -hmm. we can identify so it's like a citizen sleuths kind of uh -huh. you know so they they get like people to help with like police right. investigations mm -hmm. and they're yeah and the paul guys was a cop so it's in a somewhat uh, responsible way <laughs> Yeah, he was a cop. They send all of so you so the citizen sleuth people. They have like roles and stuff and blah 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 blah. And then you can send all the information to them, and then they will send it to the proper people or do their own like. So it's not like they're solving stuff on their own. They send it to the right people, and it will mm -hmm. get seen. But they've actually like broken open a lot of like cases and are getting really close to like actually solving and identifying like missing persons and people who are murdered by uh -huh. or like other victims of serial killers and stuff because of this podcast and i think it's really cool and right now for the past few months they've been doing a lot of um stories about like um like uh trans uh black folks uh or like um native american or indigenous uh women specifically uh and one of them well so this was they were talking about uh the soldiers the so two missing person cases about uh -huh. soldiers i think two women 
I believe, yeah, two women who went missing in Fort Hood. Um, and it was, a. Uh, they're really sketchy uh-huh. and think that it's, they don't know if it's, yeah, someone like in the Fort Hood area, like a serial killer, or if it's something like these girls, both of them had been complaining about like being sexually mm-hmm. harassed and raped by like the head men and stuff. Um, and then like randomly they were like going to tell people and then randomly they went like missing or something. And then they go over like all the cases of all the random missing people that go, yeah, missing mm-hmm. in Fort Hood and how there's like a like kind of a huge, there has to be some kind of something going mm-hmm. on there that's yeah. not good. Right. And that's why so many people go missing and that's why bodies are being found. Mm-hmm. So that's. I haven't listened to the whole thing, or did I? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I was okay. listening to that, and they were talking about how something is going on at Fort Hood, and they're, we need to, in, like, people need to investigate it. Right. Because they think something sketchy is going on there. And then, a few, like, a couple months after that episode was released, or like a month later, they think that was like a month ago, mm-hmm. they found these other bodies. So mm-hmm. I'm like, something is going on there. Isn't that interesting? I want to mm-hmm. cover that, I think. Okay. Because that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There's always especially something sketchy like, going on at military bases. Well, yeah, but especially there. Like, I, I don't know. They were talking yeah, about, like, no, a few, sure. like, missing and murdered women mm-hmm. in, on like, who were, yeah. And I'm just like, ooh, that's... Mm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So everywhere is just bad. The world is bad. The world is bad. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, we need to... This was a really long episode. Yeah, it was a long time. Um, But now we have more ideas of what to talk about. Exactly. Uh, Have we done an updated episode on Jeffrey Epstein with like... Glenn Maxwell being found and stuff. There's not no. a lot of information out about it. Yeah, we haven't done a we haven't done an Epstein update in a while. We should do that. Yeah, we probably, we probably should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, That's all I have. It's late. Yep. I've been Harry. I'm still Carly. And this has been known unknowns. This podcast is dedicated to the brave Mujahideen fighters of Afghanistan. Because it's weird out there. Bye. Bye. Bye.